Amen. There's something about that last song that is just anointed and powerful. And it's because it's about Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. <laughs> there's nothing greater. There's no greater name. There's no greater power. And it's, it's just, it means everything. It means everything. And listen, uh, I'm going to encourage you today. Today is one of those uh, Sundays that's kind of a in-between time because um, I just came off of the series that we had and, um, and I'm looking and praying about the next one. And so the next one, I'm, I'm, I'm really leaning toward dealing with wisdom and making sure we do the wise thing and the right thing, you know, in our choices in life. But today I, I asked the Lord about what do you want me to share with your people? So I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Luke's Gospel. In Luke chapter 8, we're going to be looking at a, it's a story, uh, and then it's another story within a story. And so it's really a powerful thing. This is, this is a story about Jesus, and it's a story about a man with a daughter, and it's also a story about, uh, it's a man with a daughter, and it's a story about a woman who's been dealing with something physical. For a great length of time. And so it's a really fascinating story. And it's a powerful story. And we're going to see the impact that Jesus has in this whole situation. Because not only does Jesus have the power over disease. He has the power over death as well. And so uh, that's what we're going to see within this story. And... Um, you know, uh, years ago, uh, golly, it was back in the 90s, and some of y'all might not even been around then, but it was in the 90s, and uh, there was a guy by the name of Henry Blackaby, and, um, and he's a great, great man of God, and he, he wrote uh, this uh, series and this uh, study called Experiencing God. And he had two things that were main points in, in this whole study that I remember at the beginning of it. And the number one thing he always emphasized was this. God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. Now, some of you, you might not feel that way. You might be, think you're going through just your daily routine. And whatever that is, you might not even think God's even concerned about your daily routine or the fact that you're stuck in traffic, or the fact that you're over here in this situation, or at this workplace. But listen, remember these, remember these two things. First one, God is always at work around you. Always. And what was the second one? He said it this way. He said, when you see God at work around you, join in with him. When you see God work around you, then get in on that work. Join in the work that you see. Now, this kind of is, and I share these two truths because they are a tie-in to these stories. Because Jesus, there probably wasn't anybody that was any more busy than Jesus was. I mean, he, he had just performed a pretty great miracle in seeing a demon-possessed man healed, and it brought a whole community out to experience it. 
but Jesus was always being pressed upon the crowds. And have, have you ever had a situation in your daily routine in your life to where you felt like, man, I'm so busy doing this, and then all of a sudden something steps in and interrupts it? Just interrupts your day. And, <coughs> excuse me, do you see that interruption as a distraction? Or do you see it as God is always at work around me? <laughs> or do you see it as a divine appointment? And see, that's kind of where I want you to be thinking about today, and I'm, all of us, because, you know, we almost, it's kind of like having margins within your life. You feel like you, you know, I'm a calendar person, I'm a schedule person. You know, I don't just run into town and make, and run all over the place. I schedule out my trip, exactly where I'm going, what I'm going to do. You know, I don't, I, you know, I'd rather dot, cross my T's and dot my I's. You know, I'm on, I'm on, I'm the type of person that's going to measure three times and cut once, okay? I'm, I'm just that tight. But even when you plan out all these little details, there are going to be interruptions in our life. There's going to be distractions in our life. We're going to see that in this story because there's a story within a story. But let's pick up here in, in Luke's gospel in chapter 8 and verse 40. Jesus has returned. The people welcomed him for they'd been waiting for him. They were excited that Jesus was there. And there came a man to visit with Jesus and approached Jesus by the name of Jairus. Jairus was a man who was a ruler in the synagogue. So he was a person of prominence. He was a person that's a ruler of the synagogue was always at church. He was a religious person. But he approached Jesus with a plea in his heart. And that plea was he only had one daughter. One daughter. She was about 12 years old. And this daughter was dying. And no matter his position, no matter his influence in that temple, y'all, his daughter was dying. And so they, he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, please, would you come and go with me to heal my daughter? And so as they began to, to Jesus said, okay, I'll do it. And as they began to go on that journey to his home, to his house, there was an interruption. There was a delay. There was a, some might say a distraction. Others would say a divine appointment. But there was a woman who had had an issue in her life. She had an issue that was known as a hemorrhage. She had a blood flow issue. And we don't know other than that. We don't even know the woman's name. The Bible never says. But I do know this about the woman. Hold your spot right here in Luke chapter 8. And if you, if you flip over a few pages in the Mark's version of this story, Mark chapter 5, verses 25 and 26 tell this about the woman. He gives a few more details for us to see in this story. He says this. He says, A woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years, and she had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. 
Wow. Now that gives us a little bit more detail about what this woman had been going through. You know, I, I had my surgery uh, three months ago. I've been at the hands of physical therapists for three months. And it's been a journey. And I, I, I was sharing earlier, I feel like I'm getting over the hump a little bit. I feel like I'm, I'm walking without a cane and I'm getting to that next stage. But I'm going to tell you, there's been weeks here and I had someone who had surgery contact me and they're a few weeks behind me and they're like, they feel like they've hit a wall. And I said, yes, I've been there. I've done that. But listen, do you know of someone that's battled with an issue physically? Physically, they've gone through an issue. And perhaps mine's just been a few months. But can you imagine dealing with an issue? There are people in our church that have dealt with cancer, with an issue, a physical issue for months, for years, and have battled with that. And here's the deal with the, in this life of this lady. This lady was a lady that had this hemorrhage for 12 years. Golly, that's a long time. I mean, you think about a physical illness that she had carried for 12 years. And not only that, she had gone to all the physicians. Have you ever been gone and got that second opinion or that third opinion? And you keep going to the doctors and you're getting nowhere. You're just getting nowhere. Well, and not only that, she had spent all her money in giving it to these physicians to get better. And not only that, she had not gotten better. She had, in fact, gotten worse, according to Mark's version of the story. So this is not a good situation in the life of this lady. But what this lady decides on this given day, with all the crowds that are around Jesus... And even within the invite that Jairus has already asked for him to come and see his daughter who's dying, Jesus is pressed in by the crowds. And here's the deal, y'all. Here's what I want you to see. Here was a man who was a religious leader who had a 12-year, almost 12-year-old daughter dying. And he had all access to the temple. Here was a woman because of the Levitical law and the flow of blood from her body, she was not allowed to go to the temple because she was considered unclean. Unclean. Because of the physical, the blood flow. So she wasn't able to go and worship. And, but even, in fact, if she touched you, you were then considered to be unclean. And so this is a serious issue. And so this woman, she's, she's exhausted all these other things, but she, she does this. The woman who'd had all this, and she came up behind Jesus. I love this, verse 44. And she touched the fringe of his cloak, his outer garment. She just touched it. She touched it. And here's the most powerful thing, verse 45. Jesus, in the, in the midst of all of this, here's my next assignment. Here's what I've got to go and do over here. He stops, and he just pauses, and he said, Who is, Who's the one who touched me? Who is the one who touched me? 
Wow. I don't know about you, but that moved something within me. This woman, Jesus recognized, Jesus realized that something had happened. Let's see right here. He says, and while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding you, and everyone's pressing against you. A lot of people are touching you. He, 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 that wasn't the answer he was looking for. It says, verse 46, but Jesus said, someone did touch me. For I was aware that power had gone out of me. Now, boy, that speaks to me. And it should speak to you. Jesus was fully aware of the situation that was going on because he felt the healing, his healing power go out of him. And here's what I love about this church. This is just what I love. Instead of this woman touching Jesus and making him unclean, <laughs> she touched Jesus. And in that moment, she touched Jesus. Jesus made her clean. Happened that quick. In the moment, she touched him. Isn't that awesome? Whoo. She put it all on the line. She just touched the fringe. And in that moment, the it bleeding stopped. The hemorrhaging stopped. And Jesus acknowledged. Jesus was aware that the power had gone out of him. Wow. You know, I told a group of men this past week, I said, you know, I want to I be walking a life with God in such a way that I'm aware of the needs that are around me. I don't want to be just going from this place to that place and not see that, hey, there is a situation going on right here that I need to see. Because God is at work around me. It'd be so easy for Jesus to just, go, you know, to have healed her and just kept on walking. But no, he didn't. He asked the question, who touched me? And so let's pick up in the story. Verse 47, when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, uh-oh, she came trembling and fell down before Jesus, and she declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she touched him. She had to go into her story. Listen, I've had this issue for 12 years. I went to all the doctors. None of them have helped me. I spent all my money, and I'm not better. I'm actually worse. She told him the story. But what Jesus was doing was was really getting her to come forward and to confess, to openly declare what God had done on her behalf. Listen, never be afraid, never be ashamed of a miracle that God does in your life. Never, never. When God does a miracle in your life, never be ashamed of that. Be willing to come forward, come clean, and confess it. And this is what happened. She was healed. And I love the response that Jesus said to her in verse 48. He said to her, notice what, notice what he calls her. He didn't say woman. What did he call her? Daughter. Daughter. Ooh, that changes things, doesn't it? Daughter. Her identity now has changed because he says daughter your faith has made you well. In other words, you've been saved. Go in peace. 
She was not only saved physically from a hemorrhage that day, her faith in Jesus saved her soul that day. He called her daughter. <laughs> Boy, isn't that a great story? And that's just the story within the story. This, was this an interruption? Hmm. Or was this a divine appointment? And why did it happen this way? That God shows us something like this. The story within a story. But he called her daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now here's what's interesting, isn't it? The, the ruler of the synagogue has an almost 12-year-old daughter. And she's died. But this woman had had a 12-year hemorrhage and was just called a woman until she had faith to touch the fringe of his garment and now she is called daughter. 12 years. Listen, how long have you been dealing with your issue? How long has it been? How long has it been going on? I'm speaking to somebody out there that's needing to just have the faith to reach out and touch the cloak today. You know what I'm talking about. Who is that person? Who's that person that's been trying to figure it out, been going to every place else, all the other resources, but has never come to Jesus? You know, I've always heard people say, don't make Jesus your last resort. <laughs> make him your first choice. But this woman had exhausted it all. And in this story, she gets healed in so many more ways than just physically. She gets healed to that point that Jesus calls her his very own daughter. And I love that about this story. Well, the story could end right there, and that'd be good enough for me. Man, it's time to go home. I've just had church. This woman, this woman is healed. Whoo, man. Well, it didn't end there. It didn't end there. While this woman confesses what just happened in her life, some people show up there and say, oh, here's, let's pick up. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official. This is Jairus saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Wow. Now, we've just, we've just seen a miracle. And now can you put yourself in the position of J. Iris. What do you think he was thinking at that moment? What do you think he was thinking? What would you have been thinking in that moment? What about you dads in this room? You, if you got a child, if you have a daughter, or a son. In this case, this was this man's only child, his only daughter. Would the thought have crossed your mind, man, if he had not been over here delayed with this woman, he could have gotten to my house by now and perhaps my daughter would still be alive? This woman, this woman over here, she's the reason. Hmm. Would that thought have even crossed your mind if you were J. Iris? Who knows what could have crossed his mind. But they did say this, don't trouble. Don't trouble him anymore because she's dead. She's dead. But notice verse 50. If 
you got a pen, underline this. But when Jesus heard this, he answered Jairus. He said these things. He gave him two commands and then a promise. The first command was do not be afraid any longer. He knew there was some fear going on in Jairus' life. He was afraid his daughter was going to die. So he told him, first command, do not be afraid any longer. Here was the second one. He said, only believe. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. Don't you love that church? Only believe. What was it? What was it that healed this lady that touched the fringe of his cloak? If I remember right, it was her faith that made her well. And now Jesus is turning around and telling this man who just got news that his daughter had died, only believe. Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. And then he gave him this promise. She will be made well. Wow. And so, that's, that's what was given to him. And so they go on down the road. And when he came to the house in verse 51... He didn't allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James. Now those were, of the 12 disciples, those were the three that were the inner circle guys. Peter, James, and John. And they got to see things that nobody else got to see. In fact, those three got to see Jesus when he was transformed. And, and the glory of heaven came on him. I don't know why Jesus chose those three. Pull them on in and let them see these things, but... He brought those three on in with him. And then it says, and the girl's father, this is, and Jairus, and Mrs. Jairus. She got in on it. So they were all invited to go into the room where the daughter was laying dead. And then verse 52. Now, when they, now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, now who were the they? The day was the crowd, the crowd that had gathered there. And it was part of a custom that when someone died, that there were people that came and just started wailing and weeping. They were like professional mourners that came. And these people were, had already started crying. They were just wailing and weeping because this man's only daughter is gone. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus said to them in verse 52, I love this. He said, stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. Wow. Stop weeping. Y'all quit your crying. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. Who you would have thought their response would have been, wow. Wow. That's amazing. He's given us an insight here, but guess what their response was? What did they do to Jesus? What did they do? What's the scripture say they did? What did they start doing to Jesus? The Bible says it right here. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. They were laughing at him. Laughing at the Son of God. Laughing at the King of all kings. Mocking and laughing at him. He was a man who not only had the power over disease, but listen, folks, he's got the power over death as well. And they were laughing at the very one who holds the keys now to death, hell, and the grave. 
<laughs> says that in the book of Revelation. He already, oh, by the way, when Jesus died, after he gave his life on the cross, what happened in that little three-day window before he rose on Sunday morning was he went into Hades and took the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and Revelation says he now holds them. So he, he took care of that situation as well. But they're laughing at the very one who has the power over death. And he just walks into that situation. He goes past their mocking and they're laughing. And he gets into the room with Peter, James, and John and the girl's parents. And he looks down at this young girl, 12-year-old girl. And he says, child, arise. And she got up. And she walked. And then he said, give her something to eat. Give her something to eat. She's got to be hungry. <laughs> Y'all, can you only imagine what J. Iris' reaction was then? My daughter was dead. They told me my daughter was dead. Now she's alive. And why is she alive? Because the prince of life the ruler of this kingdom, the very one who is life himself, said, child, arise. And she came out of the grave. This wasn't the only time he ever did it. He told Lazarus to come out of the tomb, and he did, didn't he? Because he has, y'all, not only the power over disease, he has the power over death. And in this case, a little girl was saved. He told his parents, his parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Now that still amazes me why Jesus always did that after these miracles. But he did. He would always give that command after he had done an amazing miracle. He would say, oh, by the way, don't tell anybody. Now, if y'all ever told somebody not to tell anybody, something and then they went and told something that you told them not to tell I think when you tell them not to tell then that makes them even more compelled to go tell and but in this case would you been telling somebody what he just did for your little daughter man I would have been blown away by this I, I you couldn't have shut me up for days and weeks and months and years I'd have been going around telling you, you wouldn't believe what he did for my little girl. But what about the woman? What about the woman? She also had been healed in this story. Listen, who do you identify most with in this story? Who do you identify with? Is it J. Iris? Is it the woman? Or is it the crowd that mocks and laughs at Jesus? Who is it that you identify most in this story with? The question I always will ask in a situation like this, and that is, Lord, may I have the eyes to see where you're at work around me. And when I do, may I join in on that work. Because you never know what God's about to do in the middle of the next situation. Amen.
A good friend of mine told me, he said, there's not a rock in the road that you don't run over that God didn't know about that you were going to run over it. And I was like, Willie, are you sure a rock? And he said, yes. There's not a rock in the road. So when you get that flat tire going down the road, you might be just sitting there cursing going, it's the worst time in the world to have a flat tire. But you don't know what was on down the road. You don't. When you're stuck in that traffic jam, you don't know. The people in Florida got to see this past week who's in control. And we're not. And when you're told to get out, you can stay. Or you can get out. I heard one guy say, listen, I've sat through a bunch of them and I didn't get out. But the next time, I'm getting out. He called, you know why? Because they thought they were going to die. And I've learned this through my life. I'm never in control, but I know who is. But I know who is. And always remember, just like these learned in this story, God's never delayed. He's always on time. And God's got a reason and a purpose for doing everything he does. And you would be loving it if you were that woman who had touched the fringe of his garment. That Jesus took the time to stop and to heal you on the way to another miracle. Amen. I'm that one. Thank you, Lord. I'm that one. I'm thank you, Lord, for the miracle of life. And thank you, Lord, for the miracle of healing. And it's a journey. But I want to keep my eyes open. Because you're working. You're always working around me. And I want to keep my eyes open because I want to get in on it. And what's next? Let's pray. Father, thank you.